0: Greetings to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. Welcome and Shabbat Shalom everybody. We're going to be looking again at part two of the Etz the tree of life today. But I want to just do a great shout out and a big thank you to all of you out there that have donated and supported this ministry. We just truly, truly are so So blessed for your support here. Um, The next couple of days, what we're going to do is we're going to be rolling out our um, donor appreciation campaign. To all of you out there that support us on a weekly or regular monthly basis, we just want to just send out um, our appreciative thanks to you for all of the support. So how that's going to look is after today's teaching, what we're going to do is to launch our first donor appreciation campaign to all of you, our current monthly donors. So what should you expect in the next few days? We're not going to bomb you with too many emails or texts or anything like that. But what I would like to do is to give you a link where you can schedule a time to have a telephone conversation with me, give me some input, some feedback about what we're doing here at the ministry and some ideas because I think when we come together, the more informative we are the greater reach that we do have. You'll also get to look at our 2018 impact report that's going to show you the um, amount of growth that's been happening to the ministry. And you'll be able to see what we've been doing over the past year. And also some of our testimonies from people that their life has changed and been impacted by the teachings and outreach here at Torah to the Tribes. And you'll get to see our overall financial status and the health of the ministry, which I think are very important things for our regular donors to be able to see. So again, a thank you hugely for all of you out there that do steward your tithes and offerings and direct them towards this ministry. Again, I look forward to being able to connect with you over the next several weeks, and again, look forward, I hope, to your ongoing support here at the ministry. So let us dig in as we prepare for the Passover. It's a time of reflection on the manifestation and power of Yahusha in our life. So I'm going to do an oldie but a goodie. I've done this teaching before several years ago. The audio and the video was not up to the quality that we're up now. So I thought what a great opportunity to bring this into the tree of life. Because quite honestly this is a very powerful teaching that is encouraging and motivating and inspiring to me and I hope that it's motivating and inspiring to you because we need to shine our light more and more in this sick and twisted world in which we live in and quite honestly just by encouraging people and shining more truth into the lies out there you can really make a big difference so I just want to inspire you all just to continue just to speak a word of truth to share a scripture To be that light whenever you can, because you don't know just the smallest opportunity can make the biggest impact in somebody's life. And it's unbeknownst to you at the time, but we live in a time where there is darkness all around us. If we can shine that light of truth, it can really make a difference. So I noticed that as I broadcast and plainly tell people that Yahushua is the Messiah. Those out there that are not among his sheep, they don't like it. More and more, it's more divisive. The world has become more polarized again and again. We see it each and every day. But these ones that don't like it, they're the same ones in spirit that try to push Yahusha off a cliff. Pick up stones and hurl them against him. Why? Because when you stand for truth, and truth is a person. Truth is Yahushua. Truth is a person. When you stand for truth, then those that are living in the dark, living in the lies, they want to silence the truth. So they'll try to stone you, whether it be metaphorically or in the time of Yahushua, literally, but they're always the same people those that are not of his sheep. They are not of his sheep. So this is something that really we need to pay attention to because when we testify of Yahushua to a decaying world that is so polarized, you have to be aware that when you get those that try to cast stones at your light, it's because they are not of his sheep. And we know that the majority of the media out there is run by the synagogue of S.A. Tan. And a big thing that people that are broadcasting, like myself and others that are under constant threat of, is this deplatforming. If you're conservative, you're a Bible commentator, you're testifying about truth and conservative issues, then you are at threat from being deplatformed. And what's that about? It's again, it's in the same spirit of those who are not of his sheep. They want to silence truth. They want to silence anything that isn't part of this what? New world order agenda. This whole Agenda 21, this whole programming of society which is communistic and atheistic in thought. It's, again, the casting of stones at truth. So when you speak the truth out there, whether it be on Facebook, YouTube, or in your community, in your village, you really can have a great impact. You really can. Because our words of truth are salt and light in a decaying world. So... Today, we're going to look at the tree of life. We're going to clear up more lies and speak more truth into this magnificent journey, which is our faith. We're going to be preparing for Passover these next few weeks, this is a great teaching that inspires me because truth is what set me free. And the more truth that we have, and truth is Yahusha, the person of Yahusha, it's not something out here that we can't quite... Well, what is truth, as Pilate said? Truth is a person. That's clear and plain to see. So, Second Corinthians 11 Verse 24, it is written, from the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. So this was the Apostle Paul's testimony that he was struck with 39 lashes on five occasions. That's some serious corporal punishment. I mean, I experienced some corporal punishment when I was growing up in an all-boys boarding school, but never did I get 39 lashes. We were restricted to six of the best, they used to call it. But here we have 39 lashes on five occasions. So here's a witness for us. One who survived, not one, but five lashings on 39, 39 lashes on five occasions. But we see that the testimony of Yahusha only had 39 lashes on one occasion. Mark chapter 15, verse 44. And Pilate marveled that he was already dead, speaking of Yahushua. And he called the centurion and asked him whether he had already been dead. This teaching is going to be about the tree of life. It's going to be about Yahushua's crucifixion the manner that led up to his death and it is going to expose some of the traditions and a lot of the lies that have been carried into the faith and we're going to be speaking truth. And when we do that, some that are not of his sheep will try to cast stones. But we still shine our light. We're getting ready for Passover. I love this teaching. Again, it's an oldie, but it's a goodie. Why was Pilate so surprised that Yahushua was dead? Why? This was because victims who are hung on a tree could at some time stay alive for days. In fact, historically, there was a case where a male factor survived for up to nine days, hung on a tree in crucifixion. Luke chapter 23, verse 21. But they cried saying, crucify him, crucify him. And he said to them the third time, why? What evil has he done? I have found no cause of death of him. I will therefore chastise him and then I'm going to let him go. That's the testimony of Pilate. Now, the Greek word used here for chastise is very interesting. It's the same word that you would use to train up your child. And you're not going to go all Mel Gibson on your child, are you? Speaking of that movie, The Passion of the Christ, you're not going to do that. You're going to correct them. You're going to train them up. The Greek word is padeo, padeo, and it means to train up a child, to educate them, to discipline them by light punishment, to instruct, to learn, to teach. It doesn't mean you're going to kill them. That is not what the word means. The word padeo doesn't mean this violent punishment as associated with the traditional crucifixion, which is all Hollywood style, coming, of course, from those that are not of his sheep, the synagogue of Satan, they who say they are Jews, but in fact they are not. Isaiah the prophet tells us the truth, more truth, about Yahushua and his crucifixion. Of course, Isaiah 53, verse 5, it is written, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. The Hebrew word here in this text for chastised is the Hebrew word musar, and it comes from Strong's number 4148, and it means and represents this, all of the words of training up a child to rebuke, a punishment, correction, some discipline or instruction. So, in correcting our children, we don't put them to death, heavens forbid. So, this is exactly what Yahusha employed excuse me, what Pilate employed on Yahusha was to lightly correct him, to train him up, what? So that he would not be a rebel against the crown, if you will. Now, there was a, a man, I believe his name was Chaim Cohen, that did some work on this to find out how Yehusha really died more truth and he wrote a book called the trial and death of Jesus now he states that since Pilate wanted to set Yahushua free he would not have scourged him Mel Gibson style he wouldn't have done it that way the actual words that we find in scripture so far testify to training to a light punishment that Yahushua was struck and chastised but not in a manner that would kill him. So Pilate thought that he was being merciful because he had heard the the voice of his wife in the morning, right? Who had been troubled and afflicted in dreams about this righteous man. So Pilate thought he was being merciful for his wife's sake by not beating him to death. So the scourging that happened to Yahushua was associated with the crucifixion they weren't like these separate separate deals but they were actually interconnected and it would have been actually performed and administered at the execution site where the punishment would have been meted out Luke 23 20 those few verses there um, this is something that we would see now in standard Roman crucifixion, the malefactor was first undressed, then his head was covered, then a forked instrument with two prongs and it was called a furca was placed on his back, and his two hands would have been bound to it, and each hand to one of the prongs. Now, in this fashion, the one condemned would then have to drag that furca to the place of crucifixion because when I did the teaching last week somebody commented I'm not sure if it was on Facebook or YouTube what do you mean I thought that he was nailed to a cross like a cross. So this is where the furca or the parabellum, the cross beam comes into the equation. Because last week I said that how he was nailed to a tree but it would have actually been the cross beam that was nailed to the tree but it wasn't a traditional Babylonian tower or a Babylonian cross that we see today in the Roman Catholic Church. No, that's something that came from, of course, Babylonian pagan tradition. So what we can see as we unveil more truth around the Passover that there's always going to be those that want to stone you or silence you because they would rather that you carry on in the traditions of men, which is vanity. I was so discouraged just going to the, the gardening store yesterday just to see all these eggs and all these bright colours and I'm like, oh, is it already? As we're preparing for righteousness, we're we're looking for yeast and unleavening our house. This is what we have to deal with in society that wants the traditions rather than truth. So a good dose of truth once in a while, even if it's coming from Torah to the tribes, don't turn us off. Please don't deplatform us. Listen to the words of truth. And if it pings you, then maybe it's time to do a self-analysis. Because truth will give you, what, shalom and set you free if you embrace the person of truth, which is, of course, Yahushua the Messiah. But going back to this descriptive of Yahusha's crucifixion, we can find that what happened, this is the fashion of what happened to Yahusha. He drug the firka to the place of crucifixion. And when he arrived there, he was scourged while remaining bound to that very firka. Now, Roman records indicate that even a milder form of implement of punishment was sometimes permitted. Now, in this case, the malefactor was allowed to forego the usual scourging at the execution site, and instead of dragging the furka, he had to carry his own gallows. So he'd actually carry it on his back and we know that Yahushua from the testimony of Scripture that he did actually not drag it but carry his own gallows and that was what the traverse beam was called was called in the Greek the patabalum, the patabalum which was then nailed to the tree of life going back to address that comment that somebody said last week Matthew 27 verse 32 describes this perfectly with the Greek word stados, stados meaning a beam. Now this has been translated, mistranslated into the cross. But our symbol of our faith, like I said last week, is the menorah, the tree of life, the central palm, branch, excuse me. And then you've got the six hands lifted up, creating a perfect menorah, on which, of course, Yahushua was crucified. Not a Babylonian cross. Matthew 27, verse 32. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Shimon by name, or Simon, and they compelled him to bear his beam much better translation so this traverse beam or in the greek the patibulum was then loaded on the back of the one who was going to go and be impaled and sometimes he was already bound or nailed to this patibulum when he would start out on his final journey and what a dreadful journey in the dusty dusty way All the way up to the Mount of Olives. Now, other times, the malefactor was allowed to carry the patabalum freely on his back and would be nailed to it when he arrived at that dreadful, ghastly final destination. And this is clearly what happened to Yahusha. Look at Matthew 27, verse 19. And while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him saying, Have nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. So Pilate was, he was really reluctant to punish him, even though Pilate wasn't like this perfect saint. He actually was made a saint, actually, by the Greek Orthodox Church, which is... Kind of crazy to me, but yeah, they made him a saint, I believe. Anyway, as we go into the Passover, getting more truth and getting out the tradition, I think is a great thing. Because this is a time when we should be taking stock. Getting out the leaven, which is untruth. And bringing in more truth into our life, even if people would cast stones at you for doing it. We have to, because this is a polarized world. But I just want to encourage people not to hide your light under a basket because it's the one person, it's the one person that you can affect through your words of truth that can be going, oh, wow, I'd never heard that before. He was nailed to a tree. Yes, yeah, let me show you this scripture. It it says it several times in the Bible. And you can be that one person that just shines just a little fracture of truth and light. And all of a sudden, that can put somebody on the right path to seeking and finding out more truth in their life. And this is how we gather the 12 tribes of Israel that are exiled abroad and the sojourner and stranger too. This is what we do. The truth sets us free. So the Passover Seder, as we know, it's all about the blood of Yahushua prefigured. Of course Messiah but Yahweh said to take the blood and where would we apply that blood to the doorposts so we have to ask the simple question the blood that was lost by Yahushua as he was scourged by the Romans could that qualify for the atonement that you and I need well what do you think does that blood that he lost while he was scourged does that qualify for the atonement Now, here's the bombshell. Any blood that Yahushua shed while the Romans scourged him would not qualify simply because of this. Because Yahuwah hates sin and sin cannot be allowed in the camp. Where is sin expiated? From outside the camp, which is the perfect example of the red Heifer sacrifice, right? It is burned outside of the camp and it takes the burning outside, then it covers everybody that is inside the camp. Because Yahuwah cannot allow sin in the camp, so sin must be expiated outside the camp, and any expiation of sin inside the camp would not qualify wouldn't qualify at all so how much blood is needed to remove sin how much look at Leviticus chapter 4 verse 4 and he shall bring the bull to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before Yahuwah and he shall lay his hand upon the bull's head and kill the bull Before Yahuwah not over Yahuwah's shoulder not behind his back but right before him so if Yahuwah metaphorically is looking out from the temple he is looking out towards thee through the eastern gate over the Kidron Valley up onto the Mount of Olives right before Yahuwah's face and he shall lay his hand upon the bull's head and kill the bull before Yahuwah, not in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, not up in Gordon's Calvary, not out by the bus station, by the Damascus Gate, all of those religion sites of the crucifixion disqualified because they're not before Yahuwah's face. The only place that is qualified is of course the red heifer altar Up on the Mount of Olives, which we know is where Yahushua was truly crucified. Look at verse 5. And the priest that is anointed shall take the bull's blood and bring it to the tabernacle of the congregation. And the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle the blood seven times before Yahuwah before the veil of the holy place this is amazing because later on in the 17th verse and the priest shall dip his finger in some of the blood and sprinkle it seven times before Yahuwah even in front of the veil now the word for sprinkle here in the Hebrew is nozar which means to splatter and to sputter look at exodus chapter 29 verse 20 bear with me because i'm going to thread all of this together prayerfully hopefully if i can but exodus 29 verse 20 be patient with me i love this text but there is the wonderful thing about the bible is it's all interwoven and you just have to, it's like, it's like this amazing tapestry, but sometimes we've got the rug upside down and all we see is these threads. But when you actually flip it over through study, prayer, and seeking Yahuwah, you've, you're like, oh my goodness, it, it all goes together and look at the wonderful mosaic that it's created. That's Yahuwah's word and it is powerful. It's truth in a dark, sick, and twisted world. We've got to shine that light, even if they want to hurl stones at you. Metaphorically, it may become literal, right? Exodus 29, verse 20. Then you shall kill the ram and take some of its blood and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron and on the tip of the right ear of his sons, on the thumb of their right hand and on the big toe of their right foot and sprinkle the blood all around the altar. And you shall take some of the blood that is on the altar and some of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and on his garments, on his sons and on the garments of his sons with him. And he and his garments shall be hallowed and his sons and his son's garments with him. So this, the sacrifice of the Red Heifer actually points to this act because during the temple sacrifice of the Red Heifer, Yehusha was taken east from the temple gate in Jerusalem across the arched arched bridge over the Kidron Valley up to what's called in the Hebrew the Mikpad Altar or the Altar of the Red Heifer, which was located right upon the slopes of the Mount of Olives. Now here was the place that not only the red heifer was killed and the blood sprinkled seven times before the east entrance of the temple, but Moshiach Yahusha himself was killed here, and this is where his blood, his very blood was spilled. That is what was required. Because his blood spilled outside the camp of Israel cleanses all of us that come into Israel. That's why we've got to graft in. And if you're part of this Roman Babylonian New World Order system, you're still outside of the camp of Israel. Yahweh's is saying, in this generation, we don't have the excuse that Aunt Betty did this and your grandma Bertie did that. You know, if they were true to the revelation in their generation, then bless them. But this generation... I believe the last generation, we're being held to the final prophetic standard. Come out of her, my people, lest you partake of her plagues and drink down that cup of judgment. This is the time to get out of Babylon, get out of the lies, and if that means that people are going to hurl stones at you as you leave that system, then let it be. It's okay. Yehusha will be your banner and your shield and ultimately protect you as you exit Babylon. That's our testimony. Exit Babylon. Who wants to be a part of that? That system is going down. It is wicked as hell. And it is going down. Come out of her, my people. But we can see that clearly, Yehusha is the truth. And the truth is Yehusha. And that's what sets us free when there is so much confusion to, to what is truth Today. There's so many lies, so many lies. So, again, this is what was required. The scourging that Yahushua received from the Romans was actually inside the gate, not outside the camp, and it would disqualify as the blood spilled for atonement according to the red heifer sacrifice. Look at John chapter 8, verse 58. And Yahushua said to them, Amen ve Amen. I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And as soon as he declared that he was one with the Father, the Jews were there, and they were ready to stone him. But he slipped out of their hands, as it was not yet his time. That's a key phrase, isn't it? What did it just what did the Bible just state? roundabout way the bible just stated there's going to be a time when yahushua will be stoned but this is not the time did you get that there will be a time when he will be stoned well why, why weren't we taught that when we were at sunday school right because syncretism is a mixture of convenient truth and a whole bunch of lie But what we're going to do is we're going to tell you the inconvenient truth. Yahushua himself. And that is what makes us a unique people in these last days. Telling inconvenient truth no matter what the cost. Even if it's deplatforming, we continue to stand and tell you the inconvenient truth about Messiah and that you need him and that there is only one way. And it's a very narrow way. And it's getting narrower and narrower as people are apostasizing left, right, and center. So we can see there is going to be a time when there is going to be the stoning of Messiah. When is that time? And where would a better place to be to stone him? But where there is sharp stones. And where are those sharp stones? On a threshing floor? No, up on a plantation or the Mount of Olives where there were sharp flint stones John 8 verse 59 Then they took up stones to cast at him, but Yahushua hid himself, and he went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, so went away. Now the same thing is repeated in the temple when Yahushua was teaching. He was Elohim manifest during the festival of lights. He wasn't advocating that we should go and celebrate a pagan tradition called the festival of lights. No, he wasn't advocating. He was speaking truth in the midst of compromise. Some people will go to that text and say, oh, we should celebrate Hanukkah. The Bible doesn't tell us to celebrate Hanukkah. The Bible tells us to celebrate the seven feasts of Yahuwah and seven is plenty. It's actually perfect. We don't need to add pagan traditions to the truth of Yahuwah and that's something that people have cast stones at me for over the years when I've done teachings against Hanukkah, teachings against Purim because these are not the biblical feasts of Yahuwah. Don't add to the word of Yah and please don't take away. John chapter 10 verse verse 30, it is written, I and my father are one and we're in one accord. Then the unbelieving Jews took up stones again to stone him. So they were just like chomping at the bit to stone Messiah. Any opportunity that they could to hurl stones at him, they were wanting to do that. Well, one thing that we're promised is what? That like the master will suffer the same things too. Whether it's metaphorically, hopefully not literally. But again, there is something hidden in this text when you've read it. And it's the text of Deuteronomy 6:4, and the two references to Yahuwah. Both one reflects the father and the other one reflects the son. Of course, Shema Israel, Yahuwah Eloheinu, yahuwah echad we've got father and son the echad plurality right there and Yahusha, in this instance through truth is the door on which the blood must be sprinkled it was always that way always look to the door on which the blood must be sprinkled so many people are trying to get caught up over trying to thread the needle in the minutia of commandments but if we get caught up in the minutiae of commandments and we miss the point of the commandments which is to point us to the door then what is it all for the commandments are supposed to reveal Messiah and if keeping commandments isn't revealing Messiah then guess what you're not keeping the commandments so Torah is all about the revelation of Messiah It's not about the minutia of the law, it's about pointing us to Messiah. Now, Yahushua tells us the same thing he did before, and once again, they try to stone him, because when Yahushua asked them, well, what reason did they intend to stone him? What did they say? Blasphemy. It's because of blasphemy we seek to stone you. So Torah, the Bible, defines the whole procedure behind such things as blasphemy. Stoning is not something that was taken lightly. The prescription for blasphemy is in Deuteronomy 21, verse 21. In John 18, verse 31, it says, Take him and judge him according to the rule in the Torah. So, they weren't just haphazardly trying to stone Yahushua. They were going to judge him according to the rule in Torah, which is Deuteronomy 21. So, Pilate just gave them permission right here in John 18 31, didn't he? What did he just give them permission to do? To go and do with what they would according to the Torah. John 18 31. Take him and judge him according to to your Torah, according to the law. He basically told them to go do three things to Yahushua, because this is what the Torah says. First of all, go and take him somewhere and stone him. Secondly, hang him. And then thirdly, set him on fire. That's what Pilate told them to do, because that's what the Torah defines. Go stone him, then hang him, and then burn him. That's some truth. But tradition has obscured that truth, has it not? Think about it. Deuteronomy 21, verse 21. And all the men of the city shall stone him with stones that he shall die so shall thou put the evil away from among you, and all Israel shall hear and fear. And if a man has committed a sin worthy of death, and he shall be put to death, and you shall hang him on a tree. Not on a cross. You shall hang him on a tree. So first of all, you're going to stone him. Then you're going to hang him on a tree. Not a Babylonian towel then his body shall not remain all night upon that tree. But thou wilt in any wise bury him that day, for he that is hanged is accursed of Elohim, that thy land not be defiled, which Yahuwah thy Elohim giveth thee for all as an inheritance. But I just said to you that Pilate gave them permission to do three things, but I've only read two. Or have I actually given you a clue with three? The text says, stone him. The text says, hang him. But I said, stone him, hang him, and burn him. But hang on a minute, we're missing something. What else is inclusive in the text? Accursed. What happens in the Bible to accursed things? What do you do with accursed things? You burn him. See? So you can miss that and go, Well, hang on, you're addict. No. You stone first, then you hang on a tree, then burn him along with the tree, because the tree becomes the accursed thing. This is what they wanted to do to Yahushua. Is this this is interesting? This is a game changer when we're talking about truth in all the counterfeit religion and all the religious ceremonies and the whole papal system and the Babylonian New World Order system. Because that system is one that combines truth with tradition. It's called syncretism. For me and my house, the more truth... And the more we can separate ourselves from the blending of truth, the clearer the vision becomes. The clearer the vision becomes, the more powerful the testimony and the anointing is in our lives because we are what? Checking out the tradition and our ears, our vision, our sight and our voice becomes clearer and clearer to broadcast to a decaying world. A decaying world that cannot discern well what is truth you know i just I just spoke to a yes a, a, a lady yesterday that I know that you know if they were to uh, heaven forbid her one of her ch- children was to die, if they were to dig up that carcass in a hundred years' time they were to do a DNA test that that carcass would be identified as female okay but i spoke to her yesterday and she was saying well my two sons well hang on a minute what's going on all this gender fluidity this isn't true now we're not even dealing with just basic science see so people just it's so convoluted and i was like oh wow what changed there it's just it's it's crazy to me it's everywhere But if you just say, you know, stand up for truth, Yahushua, the person, people just are so offended now, even the mention of his name. Now, when you say Yahushua, they're kind of like confused because, you know, it's still set, but the truth is the truth, and it will set you free if you move into truth yourself. But we still have to expose the tradition and the lies, so let's look at this burning smoke, because I think this is fascinating. How did you cleanse the land? Because remember, the text said, you've got to take the accursed thing down before it defiles the land. Possessions or things touched by the accursed had to be burned. What happened to the golden calf? That was one accursed thing. What did Moshe do with it? Burn it, ground it down. It made him drink of it too. What happened to Achan? Try to hide some stuff under his tent, the accursed thing, burn. So, if Yahushua was crucified and nailed to the tree, the tree then became the accursed thing too. What would have happened to the tree and that which was upon it? They would have burnt it down with him upon it. So the tree of punishment was itself to be burned along with the accused or the accursed himself. Joshua chapter 7 verse 15 details this for us very clearly. This is not something papal or Roman Catholic. This is biblical scriptural truth that is just not told because of all the convoluted lies that have infiltrated our faith. But we're going to be that voice crying out in the wilderness to a last generation of truth that people have never heard before. Because there's going to be many Jesuses, many false Christs. And there's going to be many that are not of his sheep, that are goats, that are pretending to be sheep. They look all white and fluffy, but they're going to be Jesuit, mind-controlled, new world order. They're not going to be of the faith. And as we become more and more certain of our beliefs, then our voice has to be clearer in a dark world. So this is my preparation in my heart for you also as we prepare for the Passover because we can see that this tree of punishment was itself to be burned along with the accursed Joshua 7 verse 15. The authorities in the time of Yahushua full well planned to burn Yahushua's body. They truly did. They wanted to burn his body. Hebrews 12 verse 2 it is written. The tree was even reckoned accursed. A shame it says in the King James. Had it not been for one man. Yahushua would have been burned. And who was that one man? Joseph of Arimathea. Speedily took him down off of that tree if not for Joseph of Arimathea Yahushua would have been burnt along with the tree because that is what the synagogue of Satan wanted to do isn't that crazy It's so astounding to me. Jeremiah chapter 11 verse 19 prophetically speaks of this very truth. Listen to the words now in light of this revelation. But I was like a lamb or an ox that was brought to the slaughter. And I knew not that they had devised devices against me, saying, let us destroy the tree with its fruit, and let us cut him off from the land of the living, that his name may no longer be remembered. Yahushua is the fruit that was hung on the tree. Let us destroy the tree, burn it, along with its fruit. This is what the prophet Jeremiah is prophesying, of course, because Yahweh knows all three things and uses his prophets to communicate all things to those that need to hear in a dying generation. So Pilate implemented the reversal technique, hanging on the tree, then stoning, thus placating all parties. Everybody's happy. The Romans and the Jews. This technique is actually recorded in some of the ancient historical writings. It's found in the Dead Sea Scrolls Temple Scroll in column 64. It's found in the old Syriac manuscripts on page 207 and finally it's found in the Slavic version of the Ascension of Isaiah. I have no problem with reading extra biblical books for supplementary supplementary reading and history but I'm not going to get my doctrine from them we get our doctrine from the Bible so we have to make clear distinction because there's a lot of people out there that are peddling these extra biblical works as scripture and then forming whole doctrines and belief systems based upon it and leading countless astray Okay, so we have to be careful because it really is a time of reckoning. So this is interesting because a blasphemer, according to the Torah, would then be hung. So did Yahushua have this kind of punishment? They even conducted, if you think about it, a makeshift false trial against Yahushua in a a pseudo-Sanhedrin with two false witnesses. Now, if Yahushua was stoned to death, which was the law of blasphemy according to Leviticus 24, verse 15, then we should be able to see this thread revealed elsewhere in Scripture, if this is what I'm saying. So Paul tells us that he was stoned. And this is what I'm suggesting, that Yahushua was stoned, to death. Because the combination of crucifixion and stoning is what killed him. Because a man could look, be hung on a tree up for nine days and still survive. How is it that he died so quickly? Because he was stoned and crucified and if it hadn't have been for Joseph of Arimathea he would have been burned in the burning smoke along with the tree. Let me lay this out for you because that's a lot for many to meditate upon. My wife's in the back. She's looking like, oh, I'm a little uncomfortable. Where's he going? He hasn't run this by me. Well, are we going to get in trouble. Watch out. Anyway, Acts chapter 14 verse 19. Paul tells us that he was stoned just like Yehusha. But Paul actually survived to tell the tale. And there came certain unbelieving Jews from Antioch. It's always the unbelieving Jews or the synagogue of Satan. Those that say they are Jews that are not are the first to cast stones. Whether it's through the media, whether it's through the politicians, it's all part of this new world occult Luciferic realm, okay? And there came certain unbelieving Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people to turn against the apostles. And having stoned Paul, they drew him out of the city thinking he was a dead man. A dead man. A dead man. Paul was stoned and he was left for dead, but he lived, thankfully, to tell the tale of the account. Galatians tells us in the 6th chapter, in the 17th verse, For now, on... Let no one trouble you, for I bear in my body the marks of the master Yahusha. Did he have pierced hands? Did he have wear a crown of thorns? What marks in the master? Was he pierced in the side with a Roman spear? Were his feet nailed? What marks did Paul have in common with the master himself? 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. For the unbe- Those unbelieving Jews again. For the unbelieving Jews, five times I received 39 stripes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. And night and a day I have been in the deep. whoa that's that's deep that is what marks he wasn't hung on a tree there's no description of him being hung on a tree is there so the marks that he spoke about that he had in kinship with the master were the marks of stoning that he had received Both Paul and Messiah Yahushua were stoned and he bore the same marks in his body as Messiah Yahushua, the same marks in his body as he stood by as a witness holding the coats for those that stoned the first martyr, of course, Stephen, who was stoned as well. Deuteronomy 21, verse 22. And if a man has committed a sin worthy of death, then he shall be put to death and you shall hang him on a tree so the messiah took the curse of sin upon him and gave you and me life because of it galatians 4 verse 15 for i bear you witness that if possible you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me why why what was wrong with his vision The people loved Paul so much they were willing to give him even their own eyes. Because Paul, you remember, we always go, well, what was his thorn in his flesh? He had such extensive eye damage from the stoning. That object of stoning is usually what? To the head. head. Even the Middle East today, they bury him right up to here. And that's what they do. So the damage that he attained in his eyes was so damaging that the people saw that was his thorn in his flesh. He was unable to see properly after the stoning. The object of stoning, of course, is the head. Galatians 6 verse 11. You see how large I have written to you by my own handwriting? The prophet Isaiah gives us the evidence gives us the evidence. Isaiah 52 verse 13, it is written, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as man were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle, splutter many nations, Kings shall shut their mouths at him. For what had not been told them shall they see. And what they had not heard shall they consider. Even the Psalms testify to this truth. Psalm 22 verse 6. But I am a worm and no man. Scorned by men and despised utterly by the people. What type of worm would this be? The scarlet worm. The scarlet worm. The other Hebrew worm um, word, worm word for worm or maggot is krimah. This one here is the Hebrew word tolwaf, which is a scarlet worm, representing taking the sin upon himself so even the detail of the Hebrew word here is amazing look at Psalms 38 verse 10 my heart pants my strength fails me as for the light of my eyes blinding as for the light of my eyes it also has gone from me that's where the damage would happen my loved ones and my friends stand aloof from my plague And my kinsmen, they all stand afar off. All stand afar off. So quite clearly, he was blinded by the throwing of stones and the spurting, the splattering of his blood had made him very weak. This is Yahushua's own words. Look at Matthew chapter 27 in the 46th verse very telling because at about three o'clock Yehusha cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli Yahuwah, Eli Yahuwah, Lemanah that is to say, My El Yahuwah, My El Yahuwah why are you keeping me? some of them that stood there when they heard that said says this man is calling, calling for Elijah the prophet But the root word for Shapagantha I have a hard time saying that. It's a big there's a lot to say in the afternoon here. Shabthani is Shabak, which means to spare or to reserve. So my El, my El, why have you been keeping me waiting this long? Because Yahusha was reserved, he was spared for this particular day as the Lamb, the day of the Lamb. And this ties in to Psalm 22, verse 1. My El, my El, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning, and Psalm 38, verse 10, my heart pants, my strength fails me. As for the light of my eyes, it's gone out from me. This is all, of course, about the day of Messiah's crucifixion. And you can see the light in his eyes, the stoning, the crucifixion, the tree with its fruit. This is all part of the truth of that day. Stoning caused the wounding to his face. The words of Mark in the 12th chapter and the 4th verse now bring even more clarity. Again, he sent them another servant, and at him they threw stones. They wounded him in the head, and they sent him away shamefully treated. Of course, Mark speaks of this parable, which we attribute, of course, to the prophets, and then the son is sent. What about Stephen's evidence in the seventh chapter of the book of Acts? Verse 52. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just and righteous one of whom you now have become the betrayers and the murderers. They murdered Messiah in violation of their own Torah. Scripture tells us that his body was marred But then how was it marred? Well, look at Isaiah 53 verse 5. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. But he was wounded or broken for our sins, our perversions, and for our immoralities. He was crushed for our sins. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, the Hebrew word here is kaborah, which means blows that are cut in. We are healed like blows that would be cut in. Imagine if you were to throw stones which were sharp flinty stones they would be blows that were cut in that would then mar the vision blows that are cut in immediately what it would have done it would have caused this huge wheel or marking on the skin So what cuts in as each stone lands, it cuts into the flesh and then the blood, of course, would start to sputter and spurt out. That's why we have the front of the Messiah's body is marred beyond recognition and he's blinded. And Isaiah 52 verse 14 gives us a clue that points in the very direction that I'm communicating to you. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man, and his form more than sons of men. So we see traditionally in the you know the Hollywood Synagogue of Satan movie, you've got that his back is all marred, but it's the marring of the face which would have been because of the welts and the stones that cut in, of course, that sharp, flinty stone that was up on the Mount of Olives. And they were looking to stone him on, as we see, on multi- a multitude of occasions throughout the scripture. Now, evidence, even from the ancient writings, tells us in, even in the synagogue of Satan and their writings, that you know, which, of course, is the Babylonian Talmud, In the Soncino edition, in Tractate Sanhedrin 43a, it is written here. Now, this isn't scripture. This is from the synagogue of Satan. But again, they're a bunch of liars, so you have to take everything with a pinch of salt. But this is interesting. On the eve of Passover, Yeshu, that's a curse word they use for Yahushua, was hanged. For 40 days before the execution took place, a herald went forth and cried, He is going forth to be stoned because he has practiced sorcery and enticed Israel to apostasy. So again, the lies are in there but there's also some truth, right? They do record that Yahushua was actually stoned, but then, of course, they're accusing him of sorcery. But the New Testament clearly tells us that they're the ones that are bewitched. But that was their accusation. So remember the events that we have even in King David's life when he was ousted out of the kingdom at the time that Absalom was pursuing him? And Absalom's rebellion happened upon what location? Right up there on the Mount of Olives. These offense then typify what happened with Yahushua, what he would go through centuries later. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 16, verse 5. And then King David came to Bacharim. See, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shemai, the son of Gera he came forth and cursed still as he came and he cast stones at David. This is a picture of Moshiach ben David, of course, that would have stones cast at him. So the robbers that were on the tree next to Yehusha, they had to have their legs broken so that they would die. Not Yehusha. Because only those charged with blasphemy, not robbery, were hung and stoned to death. That's why the robbers had to have their legs broken because they weren't charged with blasphemy. They wouldn't have been hung and stoned. Yahushua was charged with blasphemy, hung and stoned. Hence, that's why he died so quickly And that's why the robbers didn't die so quickly and they had to be ushered along into death by the breaking of their legs. Look what it says in the book of Hebrews in the 13th chapter and the 10th verse. We have an altar from which they have no right to eat who serve the earthly tent of meeting. So if you serve in the system, whether it's this, pseudo judaism this messianic judaism or whatever it is that is a mixture a convolute, a little bit of truth and a, a whole bunch of lies is syncretism whether it's Babylonian Roman whatever then you're not at the right altar we have to go to the altar of Yahushua which is what the feasts are all about especially Passover this is a time to prepare for the Passover inside to get the leaven out. But we can only do that when we read the word and pray and seek him in truth. And we have to shut our ears to all of the nonsense and all of those lies out there that try to distract us from the mission of teaching and preaching Yahweh's word to a sick and twisted generation. Because we have an altar from which they have no right to eat who serve the earthly tent of meeting for the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest for sin they're burned outside the camp therefore Yehusha also that he might set apart the people of Israel with his own blood he suffered outside the gate let us go forth, therefore to him outside the camp Bearing his reproach. And there's the power. There's the power of the gospel right there. Priests serving in the sanctuary could eat the shalom offering, but they had no right to eat of the sin offering of the red heifer. Leviticus 6 verse 30. Those remains were taken to another altar. That's an altar outside the gates. That's Yahusha's altar, that only the priesthood under the Malchizedek order has the right to eat from. That's the emphasis: is on the Malkeitzedic priesthood, because we're eating from the right altar. And in these days, that is a true clarion call of unadulterated truth that people are receiving. Now, going back to the teaching a few weeks ago where I started to meditate upon the tree of life, it was in those last few verses of the third chapter of Habakkuk. Habakkuk knew that Judah's fall was imminent. And whatever glory they had attained as a nation would turn into exile. And here we are, thousands of years later, in the exile trying to put back the jigsaw puzzle of our exile. And it's not easy. I I think about the past 15 years, and I think now I truly am coming into my own. My family, my sons are older, my daughters are older. They've grown up in this faith. But we're really coming into our own as a family. And we're coming into our own as a ministry, no longer having to... feel like I have to defend the ministry or defend Yahweh or defend myself. but it's it's a seasoning. but I truly feel that you out there, together, if we cannot be defensive, but just speak the truth in love, that that's how that we're gonna really make change. because it's there's too much animosity and I know I get all salty and fired up. But you know, some of you love that, some of you hate it. I love and hate it too myself, you know. But ultimately, when we communicate the truth in love, that is what sets people free. We don't have to defend our faith. Yahweh doesn't need us to defend him. We just speak the truth in love. And I think those that have a blood tipped ear be like, oh my goodness, I've never heard. Wow. And then you take people to the word in prayer and supplication, and that's what changes lives. Habakkuk knew, Habakkuk knew that Judah's exile was imminent. And yes, now we're in the exile. But whatever glory Judah had attained as a nation would turn into exile. More than that, Habakkuk glimpsed the Yeshua, the salvation of Yahuwah, the true shepherd of the flock. In those last few verses of chapter three of Habakkuk, he saw Yahushua's redemptive work of seeking and searching out his flock. And that's what he's doing. He is seeking and searching out his flock. And as a ministry, we get to be a part of that. And it's a blessing and an honor, truly. For us, we have to ask ourselves, will we maintain our personal faith? In the midst of crisis, will we continue to press in and trust Yahweh despite the national and dreadful worldly events all around us? This week, some of the news, dreadful, dreadful, whether it's down there in New Zealand, whether it's in Paris, France, or Brexit, I mean, dreadful. Will we still maintain our faith in spite of all of this chaos around? Don't be deceived though, please. Please don't be deceived by Zionism. Don't be deceived by the synagogue of Satan. Because Yahushua came across the fig tree again in Matthew 21. He came across that fig tree again that Habakkuk spoke about in the third chapter in Mark chapter 11. And he cursed that fig tree because it pretended to be something that it wasn't. And that is it those that are not his sheep they will pretend to be something that they're not they usually will flatter you oh you're a great teacher oh you're the it's flattery and what's on the flip side of the coin of flattery seduction seduction all of this but again don't be deceived by that keep the faith because Yahusha. Curse that fig tree because it was pretending to be something that it was not. You and I can see through that. It looked ready for food, but was it? Was it ready for food? No. It was a hoax. It was ahead of its time. It was a counterfeit. And it didn't have any ability to satisfy our Savior, did it? none whatsoever now as we see in the world today so many counterfeits they're unable to satisfy and savor our faith because we have a different flavor we are salt and light to a perishing world and sometimes people it's too bright and remember our salvation actually is a stench of death to those that are perishing So we have to understand that and still continue to shine our light in a dark world. And beware that the state of Israel, something that is pretending to be something that it's not, is again ahead of its time not able to actually bear the fruit that it promises that it's will. And that's something that influences Hollywood and funds our very politics. In fact, our politicians fund it to the billions and billions and billions of dollars. And that's what our world is. And if you actually talk about out against Zionism, people then will attribute antisemitism to you because they can't make the distinction between what you're saying because again, they've been bombarded by the lies of corporate media. But we have to remember that the state of Israel's prophecies have all failed. Those prophecies that, you know, We were taught of maybe in traditional Christendom. Oh, the birth of the state of Israel in 1948 means that this generation... Well, hang on a minute. They're pretending to be something that they are actually not. And all of those prophecies will continue to fail when you base them upon a state that is pretending to be something, Israel, when it actually isn't. Now, the time of the figs was not yet, was it? When Yehusha went to that fig tree, the time of the figs was not yet. And the state of Israel, like the fig tree, cannot satisfy the demands of our time. Cannot satisfy the demands of the faithful. They won't let Yahushua rule over them. You can't go. Into Jerusalem and just proclaim Yahusha because they reject Yahusha's kingship over them. Well, this is the word that Yahusha says to anybody or any state that's pretending to be something that it isn't. Luke 19, 27. But those, mine enemies, which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. There are many messianic and good fearing Christians that go over to Israel and do all kinds of work for the synagogue of Satan and they won't speak of Yahusha because they don't want to get kicked out. Well hang on a minute, that's not right. We can't hide our light under a bushel in this decaying world. Then we're being a part of it. We need to come out and separate and just be bold and courageous. Because in these trying times where social media announces the next war or impending doom, will we have the faith, really ask yourself this, will we have the faith to realize that even when Yahweh judges a nation, he continues to make the faithful remnant stand even taller in biblical truth as a witness to his great name. And that's what we do. So stand. And in all, if you can do nothing more, stand. Praise Yahuwah for His Word that has enabled me to stand, to be able to communicate and enable you to stand. Let's stand together every Shabbat and at the three pilgrimage feasts of Yahweh. Be blessed. Prepare. Unleaven your house, which is your temple, and prepare for the feast of Yahweh. Amen. Amen. Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah.